Hi, this is Chris Finwood, and you're listening to The Monarchist. I'm Aaron. And I'm Mike. And you're listening to The Monarchist Podcast. Today, we welcome Greg Tomchick to the show. Born in Concord, Massachusetts, but hailing from Princess Anne High School in Virginia Beach, Greg spit fire at the butt as a pitcher, graduating in 2015. Drafted in the 27th round of the Major League Baseball draft by the St. Louis Cardinals, Greg played three seasons in the minor leagues before pursuing his other passion, running a software development company he founded while earning his Bachelor of Science in Business at the Strom College of Business. That's where the story really gets interesting, but we'll get to that a little bit later. Greg, welcome to the best and only ODU podcast. Aaron, Mike, pleasure to be here and uh, looking forward to diving into uh, everything Monarchs. Yeah, thanks so much for joining us tonight, Greg. Tell us about how you ended up at Ultimate. Yeah, it's a... Uh... It seemed like a straight and narrow story at the time. I had an older brother who was was a monarch uh, going through the process, coming from old uh, coming from Princess Anne, where you had Dan Hudson, who grew up a neighborhood over from me. Um, he was a uh, you know monarch that really thrived in that system under Jerry Myers as the pitching coach. My brother always followed in his footsteps from middle school um, through to high school, and kind of you know that led him to Old Dominion. Obviously, looking up to an older older sibling, older brother, um, ODU was always kind of top of mind. I had a couple other offers in the state of Virginia and, and one out of the state of North Carolina and really wanted to go to a school that was going to give me an opportunity to play from the start to have an impact. That was something that was always important to me as a person. And I knew that if I got the opportunity to play, that I would you know, hopefully find a way to persevere and grow into a model. They gave me that opportunity, actually offered me a two-way uh, scholarship, which was something that was really unique at that time for the players that I was associated with. Um, that later changed, but going into ODU, it was really the place that I wanted to see myself and was able to be around some great guys throughout that experience, which we'll talk about here shortly. Awesome. So first year at ODU 2012, you just mentioned your brother. So you guys had one year overlap at Old Dominion. Can you talk oh, yeah. to us a little bit about the, that experience and your transition from high school to college? Yeah, it was it was a real shock. Uh, I think it's a shock for a lot of people. Um, going into high school with him, you know, he was kind of like my protector, which I was always the younger brother that was like, I don't need protection and, and tried to stand tall and say, I don't need someone protecting me from some of the initiation that takes place, some of the slap boxing and all the all the fun stuff that people do. But college was a little bit different. You know, there wasn't really a way for him to, you know, be my protector. There was a lot of different things living in the dorms, obviously living at Whitehurst, uh, which was an incredible experience. That's that's kind of where I feel my journey at ODU started was walking out of the car from my parents waving goodbye and you know dropping my bags off and they start driving away. And I'm like, I get to live without my parents for full year that's pretty pretty cool stuff especially on the campus there which is incredible um and he was living over on uh, bluestone at the time and uh, so he had a house over there with a couple guys but it was just kind of interesting kind of colliding when we were on the field and in the locker room in the weight room but kind of stayed separate most of the time um, because i was 
kind of, you know, really into the, you know, the, the mess halls and the eating halls and things of that nature with, with some of the other freshman baseball guys. Um, but he's still kind of had that mentorship role for me uh, throughout my experience at ODU. But I think he kind of learned the lesson in, in high school that he didn't want to be the big brother that was hold, holding his little brother's hand and, um, you know, kind of making it not the full experience at the end of the day. So it was definitely incredible to have somebody to look up to. Um, but I also found other brothers there. I think that's one of the things in college that's a little bit different than high school is everybody's there for the reason to grow as athletes, as in school and as people. Um, so you really, that's kind of the brotherhood that we built in the locker room. And I was able to look up to my brother, but also some of the other older guys, Phil McCarthy and, and some of those other guys that came in and were able to take me under their wing. So you mentioned growth and new things. 2012, if I'm not mistaken, that was Coach Finwood's first year as well. You mentioned you came in on a two-way contract and that later changed. Talk to us a little bit about the beginning of your experience at Old Dominion at the same time as Coach Finwood being new and kind of the evolution of that whole situation. Yeah, so the program was looking to make a change. Uh, Jerry Myers or originally recruited me. He was the head coach at the time, and he was a direct pitching guy. So it was kind of nice, you know, at the time, thinking going into a school, you're going to be playing for a head coach. That's a pitching-type coach, so you really get that high-touch experience. I think it was about two, three months before coming on the campus, they announced that Finwood was coming in. Um, obviously, I didn't know what to expect. Um, but it ended up great. Finwood really gave me that focus that I needed, not to focus on too many things first and playing third as well as pitching. That's a lot to handle, especially getting into a new environment, a new level of competition, which was way higher than I was used to in high school and showcase ball. Finwood offered a lot in a coach that I didn't get previously. Um, one of those things that I always like to highlight when I talk to folks in the community is Finwood was an English major. And he was very big on philosophy. When I use that today in business with some of the mindset stuff I do, you know, when I speak in public, most of the time it's around kind of a connected mindset and helping people kind of make those connections, both from a cybersecurity perspective, but also from a personal development perspective. And he really laid the foundation for that because I struggled so much in school. I didn't really look outside of what I needed to do mentally in, in, unless it was around baseball. Um, so I struggled my first year in school. He saw that he was able to kind of mentor me um, as a coach, as a you know mentor um, through kind of some of those school struggles, which probably paid off. So it, it's all timing. I tried to make the best of it, and he's done a heck of a job with the program up to this point. So college of athletics have changed quite a bit in the last decade, and the rate of change seems to be picking up. Can you talk to us about your experience as an athlete at Old Dominion? Yeah, yeah, it's, it was a uh, it was an up and down uh, experience. Coming in, you're kind of you feel like you're the big person on campus, and then you get hit down by the older guys, and they're like, "You're nothing," and you got to make your mark. It doesn't matter what you did in high school or what you did in showcase ball. You know, you're coming in with a fresh slate, um, and that was one of those things. The the football program was kind of just getting going. Taylor Heineke was in the dorms, you know, next door. Um, and, and we all know how incredible of a player he became. Um, but it was it was kind of one of those things where there was a lot of changes going on across Old Dominion Athletics at the time. So it was, it was cool to be a part of. It was cool to observe. Um, but it was, you know, really before a lot of this stuff that 
athletes have today was really extremely formalized, like study hall and things of that nature. It wasn't the high touch experience that I hear guys are getting today. It was kind of dictated by what you requested. So if you didn't ask for help, you know, people assumed that you were, you know, doing well, you know, academically or mentally on the field. Obviously with, with NIL nowadays, um, that would have been something that I would have enjoyed being a part of. Um, I always kind of had that, you know, entrepreneurial mind to try to create value for others and make, make some, uh, I call it certifications of serving dollars, cents. But, you know, I worked for a couple of textbook companies throughout my college journey before kind of starting my own company later on um, in that process. But, you know, college athletics was very, you know, it was athletics and then it was school. And I think sometimes, you know, those kind of either, either conflicted or intersected. Coming in, I was all about athletics. Um, I did not really care about school at the time because I really just wanted to play baseball. And the guys that I saw around me, at least the ones that did well in school, they didn't really talk about it much because it was relatively easy for them. I didn't see many guys struggling with school and, or maybe they just didn't talk about it. Um, so I just thought it was just me to some extent that I was just the one that was struggling and you know, I wasn't focused on the right thing. I think overall it was a transition period for Monarch Nation overall definitely in the athletic department. So it was, it was an incredible time to be a part of that transition. And hopefully I was able to do some good throughout that program to set it up for the path it's on now. So while you were at Old Dominion helping kind of start the Finwood era, you shared a locker room with some pretty successful guys, Brian Yarbrough, PJ Higgins, Connor Overton, and Jared Koenig. And, and yourself, you got drafted. So a lot of talent in that locker room. Did you guys realize how good you were while you were playing together? Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of interesting how how it all plays out when you're next to these guys because you look at them as people, and a lot of times maybe either the fans or when they get into the major you know major leagues like Yarborough and and Overton, some of those guys are now you, people kind of put them on a pedestal. But because they were so humble um, as people, we didn't really know how good each person was. Um, you know, we were kind of like a 500 team, so we weren't blowing people out of the water. Some weekends we'd win two out of three, some we'd lose um, two out of three. So it was kind of that up and down and we were always battling. And I think that made us all better as players. Once we got into the Meyer leagues or got into the race to be drafted, um, I think scouts realized that we've been through struggle. We weren't at a school that won 90% of the games a year and really were just used to winning, which you know, I think scouts value that kind of failure fitness. I talk about that a lot in the business world today is a lot of investors and, and folks that look for people to invest their time and money in, they look for failure. Um, and, and we failed a lot from freshman, sophomore year, and then Yarbrough and, and uh, some of those other guys coming in from junior college. That's really where we started to win when those two kind of pieces came together. Um, and, and that was a huge, you know, con con contribute to um, not a maker in Finwood because that's what they were looking to kind of bring together to really put the program on the right um, train tracks was kind of bring together the the guys that got recruited as freshmen and then some of the guys from junior college to kind of bring those expertises together. Um, and it was definitely one of those things where I learned from them. You know, I think they learned a thing or two, a thing or two from me, um, and we kind of just blended well to hopefully make the best outcome at the end of the day, which was us winning baseball games 
And uh, they always had that mindset as well of it's not just about me, even though I may be one of the top players. It's about me contributing to the overall success of the team, which you don't get that in many places. I realized that as I got older and as I played in different minor league teams, you know, there's a lot of the best guys sometimes are all for themselves. And I think that's just a culture that Finwood didn't um, put up with. He wanted to build a team that all had the, the right culture. And that, at the end of the day, helps you get through those obstacles you hit in the seventh inning when you're down by two and some guy gets thrown out. Do you let that momentum bring you down? Or do you say that's a situation we need to, we need to leverage and try to get momentum back? And he always did a great job of that, of kind of setting that standard, setting that morale. So obviously, Old Dominion is planning a new renovation to the Bud, a pretty major renovation to the Bud, uh, $20 plus million. As an alum of the program, what is it like for you to see that type of thing happening for the coach that you helped lay the foundation for? Yeah. yeah it's got to feel pretty special to know that something you've played a part in is now coming to such a big fruition. Yeah, Fenwood kind of has his marks as, as a coach, and it's kind of interesting. And he's one of the first coaches that really showed me that when you build structures within a business or within a baseball program, you kind of start to get you, you start to kind of be known for something or leaving your mark. One, I think it was the first year he put in a new wall with some of the guys that got drafted or you know became major leaguers. And it just gave you something to look up to when you looked down the wall, you were running poles or you were struggling running suicides or it was a bad game and you were running, you know, running back and forth just to kind of get some of that lactic acid out. You're able to look to some of those guys and say they probably went through a similar struggle like this, but now they're at that point. So he always had that connection to kind of the philosophy and how young people process things. Um, and then we got the new scoreboard from a donation and things started to really come together and then obviously some of the turf, you know, was laid and the, the, you know, the big new logo and then rally alley came in. And that was one of the things that really brought fans in that wanted to kind of heckle. Um, and the opposing team doesn't like hecklers. And we realized that when we'd go into other places like JMU or Southern Miss, those home fans that heckle are the home team's best friend and the away team's, you know, worst nightmare. That's one of those cultures you need within a sports program to help elevate games make them more exciting make them la more loud and it, it honestly increases your adrenaline as a player which i think makes you perform either worse or better most of the guys on our team perform better in that um, case scenario and that's one of the things that elevated me when i was able to pitch at harbor park against uva when we beat them you know one of those years is i think we had i think it was like thirteen thousand, or it was, it was a ridiculous amount of fans but it felt like just like playing in the bud because we had that increase in fans over time who were creating more noise, creating more, um, more hype. So we were ready for those environments. And when we got put, I think they were actually number one in the nation at that time. And we ended up beating them and it wasn't just another game for us because it was UVA, but we were ready for the, that scenario, as opposed to going from like a, you know, say we had a hundred fans at a game going to 13,000, we would have been shell-shocked uh, to be able to play in that stadium. So all those things added up. To see Rally Alley, how far it's come from just being a deck to a couple kegs to now being something much bigger with seats and something that people can stand at with a table. Um, it's just incredible. And to see where the stadium's headed now with the new seats and uh, some of these renovations, I think 
it increases the fan experience and that's what most people see but it also increases the player experience which i think is commonly underlooked and that's something that finwood i think recognizes from being in the dugout how much more players are into it because that fan experience is increased greg those are all great points i know mike and i are huge fans of rally alley we spend a lot of time there and you talked a little bit about connections the players connection with the building of the wall and the looking to the players who are there i'll tell you the fans look at that too i know every time i'm there i'm looking out at the wall and i'm going up maybe i'm learning a little bit something i didn't know about old dominion history or someone we bring to the game goes oh they played at old dominion and then mike and i have met more people and players parents in rally alley so that con that connection to the program, to the players, is just another foundational kind of a brick, another brick that Coach Finwood and whoever he's working with to, to do those things, it really makes a difference. But before I move on, you mentioned that the players like Rally Alley because fans tend to chirp and like to give the opposing team a little bit of a hard time. So Mike and I are always interested in what players – are the best chirpers and the best smack talkers on the field. Did you have one guy that you always thought was the best or maybe the funniest when it comes to doing that out of your dugout? Yeah, it's a great question. I think Joey Bernie was a good one. Um, PJ Higgins is a little bit more nonchalant about it, but, you know, I think he was, you know, if he was on first base, he was probably talking to somebody in the stands, you know, whether it was Miss Finwood or, you know, somebody over there just kind of, you know, talking a little bit of smack, but it, it was, it was kind of interesting, you know, it was, it was, it kind of bobbed and weaved, you know, throughout the season, which people were, were up, which people were down. I think it, it come, came down to playing time for some guys, like some guys really maybe at the beginning of the season, they may not have been getting as much playing time and then they got some. And so I think it, it, it's all about that morale because the season's long, like it feels very short when you're in it, but it, you're there every single day. So I think those two guys kind of stick out um, as kind of the two the two funny guys uh, because they would just make faces and things and and you you make that connection with fans where you know nowadays players minds you know back to the dugout like they're saluting or they're doing you know certain putting people in in a in a headlock like things of that nature to give back to the dugout that kind of stuff wasn't really around at that time like it was kind of just like a salute things of that nature. So I think that's one of the ways the game has changed. Um, but I did see that from those two guys, like to the fans, like they would look in rally alley and find a friend or find a parent and give them a sign, which I always thought was cool because that brings the fans more into the game, which makes it overall a great, great experience from that standpoint. So definitely say those two guys, but I'm sure there were some others that, uh, that, that had some craziness throughout the different seasons. I'll add the, with the renovation, the team finally gets a new locker room, which I'm every time I look at pictures of that locker room, I'm shocked that we have had such a successful program with a locker room that poor. I, I don't think anyone could call it nice, but I it's still shocking to me how much success he's had with that locker room. Yeah, yeah a lot of a lot of good memories in that locker room. Um, a lot of uh, thrown chairs and. Uh, it's, it's, it's relatively tight quarters. We always made the best of it. 
Um, but you know, there's, there's been some, uh, some anger in there, you know, it's right by the dugout. So whenever somebody would get mad, they come in there with their glove or, you know, chuck it against someone's locker. And then you'd come in and maybe there's a, a piece of wood missing from your locker because somebody got angry. So, um, I think it, you know, it, it's definitely one of those things where it's probably time. Um, but, th- but that type of closeness also brings, you know, guys, I think closer because you're, you know, you're in close quarters. You have to find a way to work together to get dressed together. Like it's, it's that type of morale that I think brought a lot of the guys closer. Um, but I'm looking forward to seeing what it looks like. Obviously I know, uh, Finwood's going to have a great branding behind it. He has that kind of mindset around, you know, making sure that it's a clean brand, you know, it really represents the character. And that just goes back to that philosophy piece. Like he's just a, a deep thinker. And that's something that I always admired in him and something that you know, I try to adopt with the, with the team I lead today. Um, and just try to be that kind of voice of reason when things get hard, but also building that resilience muscle when things are going right. Um, a lot of times coaches maybe stop, stop kind of giving you advice when things are going right because of that superstition that we all have in sports. Um, but he was kind of that voice of consistency, which you really need from a leader, from a coach um, through those ups and downs. All right. So let's step away from Old Dominion baseball for a little bit and move to your next step so most fans they never get a peek behind the scenes to see what exactly it's like getting drafted by a professional sports team so could you take us through what your experience was like being drafted into major league baseball yeah i can i can still kind of feel it today i was sitting in the living room um, and got the call uh, from a scout at the time with the Cardinals. And he said, Hey, we thought you would go earlier. I think every guy thinks that they're going to go earlier because the scout says like, Hey, you're, you're rounds four to eight. Um, and, or something of that nature. You know, I just tried to stay patient and, uh, you know, eventually got the call and all I wanted was an opportunity. That's what I told him from the start. I have you know, been through the ups and downs. I went from old dominion to junior college and back to old dominion. Thankfully with Finwood and the staff offering me an opportunity to come back and you know, really make my mark um, from that standpoint. It was kind of one of those things where my head was floating above my body. Um, you know, I was trying to make words to my parents on how excited I was and how thankful I was for the continual opportunities and support that they gave me, which was, you know, first and foremost, and um, obviously bringing friends and family together. But I didn't know what to expect. You know, I reported first day State College, Pennsylvania for the State College Spikes, uh, which was short season at the time. You know, I got to be with Jordan Hicks, you know, some of the guys, you know, Tommy Edmond, some of these guys were in the locker room coming from Stanford or coming out of high school and being those guys who you knew were going to make it um, just based off of how they carried themselves and the type of players they were. Um, but it was a culture shock. Everybody kind of got the same opportunity. Um, it was an incredible first summer. Um, but you realize how good you have it in college. It's kind of like you go from college, these really nice buses, you know, you're eating well, you know, you're, you're getting this, you know, top notch, you know, treatment in, in the, in the locker room there and, and out in the, uh, in, in the center behind, behind the stadium. And then you go to the minor leagues and it's kind of like, you know, you're going back to these smaller buses. You're sitting with a guy every, every bus trip, um, you know, you're eating sandwiches and pizza. And, uh, you know, you're busting around to the different stadiums and you're, it's all late nights. So they're, they're not as caring about, um, I guess that like sleep recovery, things of that nature that they are nowadays. Um, and college kind of baked that into us was you have to care about that. I saw with a lot of the high school guys, 
they didn't have that routine we got from college. So it was, it was one of those experiences I really enjoyed. You know, I loved the opportunity um, just to be able to play with some of those guys and then go to spring training the next year and play with Wainwright and, uh, and, and Yachty and some of those guys. It was, it was the experience I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade for the world. Now, one thing I'm always interested in with minor league baseball is how guys make ends meet. I know family plays a part for some guys, but how do some of the guys make ends meet with such a low amount of money they're being paid? Yeah, it's almost like just enough to have a host family. Hopefully that host family is supporting you with food. I think that's one of the things that saves a lot of guys is the host family will be courteous enough to actually give them access to their pantries and things of that nature and buy more food. That's why these host families most of the time do it because they know the, the, the nature of, uh, of pay and operations. Um, some, you know, most of the time they'll feed you after games and they'll give you peanut butter and jelly before the games. The, the standard has increased quite a bit, uh, since then. And, and the pays actually increased as well, which is something I was working on when I was in the Meyer leagues. And that's all kind of coming to fruition, which is cool to see from that standpoint. One of the cool things I saw was kind of this self-sufficiency that was created throughout the team. Like some of the guys that were coming out of high school that got a bunch of money would kind of maybe take one or two guys under their, um, under their wing. Obviously, I had my small business that I was running at the time, so I was able to kind of use some of that um, to help me do it. You know, I think it's it's the support system from the town. And I think this is one of the things I never understood about minor league baseball is how important the the community and the town that you're in is to your experience with that minor league baseball team. Like they really take these teams under their wing and and try to find a way through, you know, almost like a booster club um, type structure or this host family structure or even the coaches. Sometimes the coaches will even, you know, give into a pot of money that says, hey, we're going to you know, I'll go out to dinner on our day off or something of that nature. So they, they kind of found ways to make it work, but you have just enough to get by, which, you know, can help you with budgeting, can help you with those types of things. But I think one of the things that happens, you know, after you get that out of that experience is a lot of guys, when they start making money, they don't know what to do with it. And you commonly hear that as a story with pro athletes, whether they're making millions or they're just starting out making a couple thousand is when they get out, they have, they commonly have issues. You know, I've, I saw guys that made you know, 2 million in the draft and, you know, they were getting paid buku bucks. Maybe they made it up to the major leagues for a year. And then two years later, they're in bankrupt and they don't have any money left. So it's, it's kind of a little bit of, of that financial education, things of that nature. A lot of guys that I've seen get into that financial education business to try to educate, you know, future athletes. So it's a little bit, it's definitely a lot of the town. It's a lot of the, this is all I have. Maybe I'll go to McDonald's instead of going to a restaurant and sitting down at Chili's and getting something that may be a little bit better for nutrition. But you just realize that when we have to make it work, we find a way to do it as humans. So, All right. So let's, let's shift gears to after baseball and go back to Old Dominion. So ODU Strom Entrepreneurial Center has experienced a lot of growth over the last few years. And if I'm not wrong, you were the first student to actually put a business through in 2014, I think. Yep, that's correct. Talk to us a little bit about that. 
Yeah, it was, it was a cool time. Um, so I went away to junior college for a year, really struggled my freshman year with education and basically almost failed out. They were saying, you know, you might not be able to play baseball. So I went away to junior college, took about 18 credit hours for fall, spring and, and, um, and the summer semester to try to catch up. I really wanted to be a business major. And it was, it was just by happen chance that Mark Strom and his family uh, decided to donate, I think it was 10 million at the time to an entrepreneurial center. Um, and it was just the perfect timing for me to come in and say, Hey, I'd love to, you know, I'm an athlete, you know, this is something I'm passionate about. And I basically came across the professor who was my first semester professor, first class of the year, who was going to be the executive director of the, the Strom center in one of my business classes and said, you know, Hey, I used to run a company in my neighborhood, helping people, you know, pick flowers and mow their lawn and things of that nature. And. I said, I'd love to see if this can be a viable business for other high schoolers that are, you know, in my community. We basically kind of, he kind of took me under his wing. We decided to put together a business plan for what every entrepreneur would need that goes through the Strom Center, which was a website or an application to tell the world what they were trying to develop, whether it was a product or a service. It ended up being a, a platform for something that, you know, developed to what I'm doing today. Um, but it was one of those opportunities where you look back and say, if everything in the world didn't align, it wouldn't happen. And it was, it was just one of those alignments that, you know, set, set somebody up that, you know, wasn't a great academic, but I knew I had, you know, a lot of lessons from baseball that I could, you know, give over to people. And, you know, I connected some computer science students to develop these platforms for the folks. And I wanted to be the person to kind of help talk to it because I knew some of these technical individuals didn't want to talk to people. They wanted to develop cool widgets and, and cool technologies. And um, it was it was a great, uh, great experience for me. Very thankful for what Mark Strom and, and his family have done for that center. And I go back there at least once a year and visit with the students and, you know, talk about my experience there. And, you know, each year it looks like 10 or 10 or so students are kind of added to that crowd. So it's just cool to see you know, if you think about yourself looking at a classroom, you know, it starts as kind of the front row and then it, it like fills up, you know, over time. And it's just cool to see that filling up process and it continue to grow. Uh, one of the things I'm working on with them is a alumni entrepreneurship, not club, but like a, like a board that can come in and people who have been at the school previously that are either executives in companies or running their own company and kind of give back to some of those students and, and kind of help shape how they're educated around entrepreneurship to help connect them, you know, to real world opportunities. And that's something I'm really passionate about. And, and I know that, uh, you know, they're in support of it, just trying to bring the right people together. That's awesome. So earlier you mentioned experiencing failure is one of the most important things about actually achieving long-term success. So you started this company, Things were going very well, and then you had something very unexpected happen that kind of made you pivot and changed everything for you with business and what you're doing today. So can you talk to us a little bit about that and share that experience? Yeah, one of the things I came to a realization of is we have blind spots, and that's why teams are so great, because they show you kind of what your blind spots could be, or they automatically fill them. At the time... I was very young in business, cybersecurity and cyber threats were digital threats were very new to the world. 
because it was we weren't as digitally transformed as we are today. And uh, the company was about two years in. I was in the Meyer leagues at the time, and we had we had a cyber attack that happened on one of our uh, websites that we developed. Uh, we didn't even know what a cyber attack was at that time, and you know I didn't have anybody that I could call and say, "Hey, you know I had a cyber attack. What should I do?" A lot of people just call the FBI, and you know I didn't want to just call law enforcement and say, "Hey, this small company that I started, you know, has is having a cyber attack. What should I do?" So basically, we we found somebody out of the state, actually, not even in Virginia, that was able to help us. But it was a significant financial burden in order to kind of pay and get everything back and running. So that basically put us out of business. It's trial by fire. It's like I think about being on the mound and those really bad games where you just can't throw a pitch that they don't smash in the gap or you know over somebody's head and. Um, if you don't go through that, then you don't know how to, you know, adapt and pitch when the games are good. Um, and that's something, you know, I always try to connect to is using failure for um, a blessing, not a curse. Eventually that led me to the business I'm in today because I felt that pain and I know executives are going through it. And I want to be that person that they can call and say, hey, you're the guys and girls that know how to help us put out the fire and maybe even prevent it. Um, before it takes place because you felt it before. I think that's what brings a lot of people to their kind of enlightenment of the way they want to serve folks. They've seen something that can be improved. And that's kind of that value creation, value exchange process that I try to create on a daily basis. Given your field of cybersecurity, what's it like looking back at ODU now that they've started a school of cybersecurity and that growth and bringing more people to your field? Yeah, it's huge. It's It's been huge for, for our company. We have three ODU uh, interns from that cybersecurity school. Uh, Michael Wu and the team were starting that. It was based off a, a grant that the school got, um, I believe it was back in 2018, um, when they started to kind of develop the structure. And I, I was fortunate enough to have come back to the school earlier that year to kind of talk about how I started my business out of there and how I had a cyber attack. And it was, I think Michael Wu heard that I came and, you know, was interested in cybersecurity and things of that nature and was getting into the field after minor league baseball. He was able to ask me some, some smart questions and uh, hopefully I was able to give him some good answers, but just how, how much it's grown. I think they had, when he first came to me, he said, you know, we have 15 students that are going to join the program. I know they have hundreds now, nowadays they have, all kinds of labs and classes on risk management. They've really done a great job of making it interdisciplinary where, you know, even if you're going there to get a business degree or a finance degree, you can take a couple of cybersecurity classes in order to be educated on it. Obviously we're huge proponents that everybody needs to at least know a little bit about it because you're going to be dealing with some type of technology or technology system in any business you're in. And understanding what to look for and, and how to protect it, I think is very important. So I'm looking forward to continuing to support that, that cybersecurity school. I go back once a year and speak at their CyberCon that they have. It's actually coming up in September. And uh, a lot of the students are very passionate about it. So it's cool to see like, you know, the passion for, for the Monarchs and ODU as a university, but then passion for a subject that is deeply ingrained in me and something that I'm day in and day out trying to get people to really kind of click on so these students are really something that really raises my bar and fills my cup um, to be able to see that at a place such as ODU that is really you know, something that's so important to me.
That's awesome. As a fellow alum, it's it's really cool to meet other people that are so passionate about the school. And I know you are, as well as a couple of your co-founders of Valor. You started it with three alums, right? Yeah, so we have a uh, 87, um, early 2000s, and then I was 2015. So it's just, it's cool to see that we all kind of met for the first time at ODU but didn't come together until we met like out in the community. And then ODU kind of brought us all back together. We were recently in the, the edition of Monarch magazine that just came out that kind of told our story. And it was Tom chick finds a win from a cyber attack, which is kind of a pun and kind of backwards, but, um, you know, it just shows that, you know, as Aaron mentioned earlier, kind of that failure fitness, uh, I turned that failure into hopefully something that I'm giving to other people as a blessing and not a curse, like we're seeing, you know, throughout the economy, all three of them have been vital in my journey and ODU is where they all started their career. So it just, it shows how important the foundation of, of your learning and the foundation of the community you build is. And a lot of times that's how magic happens. And, you know, when I go back to college, I always tell kids, remember those people you meet, you know, because you never know when they're going to come back into your life. And it's probably going to be with a bang, just like, uh, you know, Monarch Nation typically does. And, uh, you know, I'm definitely fortunate to, you know, have the opportunity to collaborate with Monarchs now and, and going forward. Greg, now is a portion where we ask you some fun things about Old Dominion. What was your favorite spot on campus when you were a student? Ooh, yeah, I think definitely the web center. That was kind of like the center of the universe for everybody getting together. As we all know here, you know, ODU was still a commuter school at the time. There wasn't really the plethora of dorm opportunities that there are uh, nowadays in apartments. So we probably had a third of the guys that were commuter students who were local, whether they're from Chesapeake or, or Norfolk or, you know, other places that they still lived at home. So Web Center was where we all were able to get together after practice. Maybe we were studying together, eating, chopping it up and chatting about girls or life or what we were going to do on the weekend, things of that nature. And it allowed us to eat together, break bread, you know, whatever you want to call it, but really make memories that, you know, at the time you're kind of sitting at the table, like, Hey, we're just having a conversation, but those are the things you look back on. You're like, man, that was a really good laugh or. You know, it's really cool when somebody tried to jump on the table and did a flip off it or, you know, something like that. It just that those are the connections, those small connections you make that have a big impact later on down the road. And it was also a time where Broderick was increasing the quality of the food. So we went, we came in freshman year, we were eating in Whitehurst. Obviously, it was a lot of cookies and ice cream and pizza and um, and wraps and things of that nature. And one of the things they used to joke about was Web Center had the better food because they had like salads and smoothies or like things of that nature. So we always were like, hey, we're just going to hang out at Web Center and maybe we'll find, we'll put a tent up in there uh, just so we can eat better. And it was just kind of a joke at the time. But Web Center was definitely the place to be. It was an opportunity for us to intermingle with other students as well. So it was kind of that hodgepodge of different cultures and what ODU is all about. We get students from inter international students all the way to students from Northern Virginia and New Jersey, and, you know, obviously students from the local area and to be able to take all that in was important to us as baseball players and as students. And um, that's kind of where we like to hang our hat. I will say we've interviewed all the last year's basketball team and web center was a very popular answer. 
So even though campus has grown tremendously in these last this last decade, it's still the heartbeat of campus, I think. Yeah. I hear they have a new cafeteria. Is that is that uh is that what I'm hearing? Yeah. Broderick Dining Commons, yeah. not far from the web either. Yeah. Yeah. It's Broderick. a it's a beautiful building. Roderick was big on the food. I think that was one of his, like the marks that he made was he knew the importance of uh, college students eating. And we used to have uh, Monarch points and you can basically go to the, the pod pizzas and you get a pizza for like three points. And, you know, we'd come back and we'd have like boxes of pizza at the end of the semester. And I don't think they do that anymore, but every time I go back, I'm like, where are we going to get a pod pizza from? And so that was one of those things that you remember food and that's just one of those things that I think stick out when we have an experience. And I think he did a heck of a job creating that for us. All right. So we've established the web center was your favorite place while you were on campus as a monarch. So now let's fast forward coming back to campus. What would you say that your favorite new thing on campus is? Ooh. Yeah, that's a, uh, I still have to go back to Del Vecchio's every time I'm there. I can't can't miss that experience. I know that's not new. You know, I think one of the things is watching the developments around Whitehurst and that kind of that area. I know they've done some renovations over the over the summers and things of that nature. I think just watching Whitehurst kind of develop because when we were there, it was still like the those gym walls. If you guys know what I'm talking about, those white walls where. You can like smell the history in there. Um, so I think just watching those developments is pretty cool. And then obviously like Rally Alley, as that develops, that's kind of one of those spots. Even if I'm across the campus, I'll always go there and kind of check it out just to see the recent developments um, from that standpoint. And then I know there's some new art centers going on. I actually used to live on 49th. So there's a couple of new buildings over there where they're doing like the concert hall kind of area. Um, so that's always cool to see. Um, and then I know Monarch Way has got some new restaurants and, uh, I always like to check those out. I know they have insomnia cookies and some of those new spots that I wish I had when I was there. Um, maybe it's not there anymore, but, um, they got a couple, couple of new spots that, um, I like to check out and, uh, you know, it's not just Mojo Bones, the edge and, um, and the, the Mexican spot anymore. There's a couple of new, uh, new places to hang your hat and eat, which is always good. Uh, Mike, I saw you shaking your head. Did Insomnia Cookies leave? Did I miss this? I think they did. Oh, no. There's been a lot of changes with franchises lately. And uh, yeah. So there was Raising Cane's was there for a while. That closed because Raising Cane's bought all of their franchises out because they want to own any store that's operating. And Aramark was the biggest franchisee of Raising Cane's. And I think, I don't know why Insomnia Cookies closed but maybe the lease was just too expensive. I know it was always busy. Yeah. And it was always hot in there for some reason. <laughs> but I do, I live right near campus. It sucks that I can't just go over there when I want a late night snack. Probably a good thing for me. But yeah, there's definitely some new spots coming in. They have a new Indian spot, a couple of Korean spots that just opened. Sounds like some good cultures coming. Yeah. And Greg, you'll be happy to know that Haradura is still there. Love it. Yeah, it's like every time I go back there, it's like the same people still work there. It's 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 hilarious. It's yeah. yeah, it is. All right. So for a prospective student athlete, future young professional in the seven five seven, what is a place in the area they should know about? 
I would say, and I'm a little bit biased, but there's a place in, in on Granby Street called Assembly. It's a cool new like airy um, coffee shop and office building. Uh, it's kind of that co-working model that you know, I think students should be exposed to more and they're, they're pretty open to open their doors to students. But I, I think that the Granby Street area is growing. That's one of those areas I wish I kind of went to when I was a student. Um, so I definitely say, you know, check out the different areas of Norfolk and what it has to offer, um, because that gives you the full, you know, school experience. You're not just living on campus, you're living in the whole city. So kind of have that that global reach, that global view when you're a student. I, I think that's critically important. You know, go check out the sporting events. Go check out the basketball games. Football games obviously are always a great time. Baseball games take in, you know, the culture that, that Norfolk has to offer. One of the funny things is when some of the junior college guys came in for the first time, they mentioned that Nanamaker said, hey, you know, you want to come play at the beach in, in a tropical area? And uh, they were like, oh, yeah, I'd love to. Like, these guys are coming from Iowa and, uh, you know, different parts where they didn't have a beach. And they would come and, and really appreciate. They would see, like, trees that looked like beach trees. And they would be like, hey, we're 15 minutes from the beach. And they really appreciated the accessibility to things that we have around here, which kind of gave me that that renewed appreciation for how much we do have around here that a lot of people, I think, take advantage of, including me. Sometimes I take it for granted, but just to kind of have people come in the area and kind of give you the, hey, have you checked out Granby Street? Or, hey, have you checked out Ocean View? Or anything of that nature. It, it just gives you that renewed perspective on the culture that we do have here. And, you know, I think that anybody looking into college should always do that around the colleges that they're interested in. And um, if you're currently at ODU, you know, continue to broaden your horizons, check out Virginia Beach. And if you're thinking about going anywhere else to work, I think there's a lot of job opportunities here if you put yourself out there and you know ask the right people where to look and uh, assembly is one of those buildings that you can go and say hey i'm looking for a company that does xyz and they're probably a center of the universe to connect you with an internship or you know maybe a summer job well thanks for sharing that i know that would be super helpful for some folks not only at odu currently but maybe some folks that have graduated in the last couple of years Oh, yeah. So whenever Mike and I prepare for a podcast, if we're interviewing a former student athlete, we like to always go back and read their bios and see how things change from year to year. So when we looked at your bio, it said that your favorite food was chicken. So obviously this was a little while ago. One is your favorite food still chicken. And uh, if it is, tell us your favorite place to find it. If it's not, tell us your favorite restaurant in the area that people should check out. Yeah, I think, uh, so it's definitely still top three, probably it's probably a form of chicken are the top two. I'd probably say the first one is Pollard's. I think we're all familiar with Pollard's. It's a solid place. You got to check it out. Hometown spot. And then there's a couple of good Mexican places, you know, in Norfolk, Jose Tequila is being one of them where they have all kinds of chicken dishes. And then I'd probably throw in sushi nowadays. And when I was in college. I didn't even know what sushi was. I didn't, you know, I thought raw fish, that's not something I would be interested in. So um, definitely want to throw that one in there. Just, I think we have some good sushi around here just to, 
<clears throat> throw it out there. I've been to some places, you know, the New Yorks, the Northern States that don't really have the best sushi. And I come back home and I'm like, I need, I need sushi from Virginia Beach or Norfolk. And you realize how fresh it is just based off being close to the water that a lot of places don't get, whether if they're in Illinois or some of the other kind of central states. So, yeah, I, I don't know that I'm going to be a big fan of sushi in Illinois. No. <laughs> Where's it coming from? <laughs> yeah, I have a rule. I have a rule when it comes to any seafood. If you're more than 45 minutes away from the from uh, a marina, don't don't get don't get just don't get it. However, I will say Orion's Roof in Virginia Beach at the Marriott. If you haven't been, best sushi probably in the state. I will say on the East Coast. You're not going to get as great sushi as you would in a place like LA or San Francisco because sushi should be from the Pacific mm-hmm. and it's going to be flown here. But Orion's is amazing. It's You can taste the difference between their sushi and anywhere else. While there are other good sushi spots in the area, Orion's is just a different level. I haven't been there. I'll, I'll check it out. It's spectacular. The views are amazing too because it's a uh, Towards the top of the Mar- the new Marriott, but you got to you got to get reservations a few weeks out on that, don't you, Mike? They're they're usually pretty stacked, at least on a weekend. It depends. It depends when you go. If you're going on during the middle of the day, you're fine. Fantastic spot. Take your wife when you want to either celebrate something or you want to win some brownie points. It's oh. just it's really good. It's a you know where the new Cavalier is, right? Yeah. It's that Marriott. Okay. I've heard of it. I just haven't checked it out quite yet. If you like sushi, you probably won't be able to go to your other spots after this. It's that good. Thank you. All right. So we ask everybody about music. Me and Aaron got to enjoy Billy Strings a few weeks ago at TED. It was awesome. Who's your favorite band or musician? I got a funny story. For, uh, for another bio that came up, um, I think favorite musician right now is is somebody called Liquid, which is kind of like a, uh, it's not EDM, but it's kind of like a a, a, a chiller, um, you know, type beat music. Um, so it's a little bit upbeat, but it's kind of that, you know, feel good music. Obviously, with the workflow that we're all in, it's good to have music that you can kind of, you know, beat to. So it's uh, L-Y or L-I-Q-W-I-D. Um, that's my current favorite one. But my first year in the minor leagues, they asked us questions about music. Um, it was Enemy by the State was my was a song that I really liked. It's it's a it's alternative rock. And they put Enema of the State on the, uh, it was a typo. And everybody came up as, and these were new fans. They were like, Who, who's this guy? And why would he say Enema of the State? Like, that's not a song. I, I searched it. And uh, so it was just like a good connection ritual with the fans. They were like, why is this Greg guy like Enema State? So my music genres have uh, have evolved over the years. Um, you know, I have little little kids now. So you know, hardcore, hardcore rock and roll, like I used to listen to and jam out to, sometimes we'll keep them awake. So the, the chiller, um, you know, type EDM kind of, you know, chill beats have been uh, more, more uh, palatable in this household. So I've been clinging to that a little bit more. Um, but always like the, uh, the classics. So you're saying like the ambient music, is that what we're talking about with the ambient electric music? 
Yeah, it's kind of like a cross between ambient and EDM, which is you know a little bit higher pace. So it's kind of like a middle middle of the middle of the pack, uh, like nice beats that kind of. Yeah, or lo-fi. Yep. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Man, I'm glad you're educated in talking about this stuff, Mike, because I am not. Well, Lo-Fi Beats is a really good station on uh, Spotify that I listen to while I'm working. Yeah. Because you want to have something in the background that gets rid of that those small background noises like a car driving by or maybe someone talking on their phone. Mm -hmm. But you also don't want it to be completely silent. So it's a really good thing for distract to minimize distractions. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's huge in my world with how noisy it is with cyberspace and people people chasing uh, silver rabbits, as I like to call it. So, <laughs> all righty. So, you didn't talk a whole heck of a lot about your business, Valor Cybersecurity. Let Monarch Nation know exactly what Valor does and what does the future look like for Valor over, say, the next five, ten years. What's the plan? Yeah, definitely gonna gonna maintain the relationship we have with ODU. So Valor Cybersecurity, we started in late 2021. Um, before I started the company, I built a cybersecurity advisory company for the Perot family based out of Dallas, uh, which was an incredible experience. Got to learn from a lot of you know senior business folks who built some pretty innovative stuff when it comes to the internet. And um, obviously, taking the pain I had from the cyber attack, you know, I wanted to build a company that helped executives and help leaders think about and implement cybersecurity into their culture. Because at the end of the day, it's, it's culture, just like baseball was. Um, so we, we consider ourselves a team of cybersecurity coaches, just like a coach in sports that helps businesses to protect and secure what they value most, which a lot of times what companies value nowadays is either money or technology. Um, obviously, the people part is a, is a key component to that. Um, so we basically provide assessments and and help companies implement cybersecurity. And we all know how important it is today because we see it in the headlines. We're a team of five right now, so we're going to continue to kind of build and and build, you know, from from Norfolk, from you know the backyard that where we went to school. And um, you know we've been able to work for companies within the state as well as out of the state, and uh, just going to continue to spread the good word and and hopefully help people avoid that pain that I was once in. Um, so it's, it's been an incredible journey to be able to lead a business and take some of those lessons I learned from coaches along my journey, whether it was in the minor leagues at ODU or throughout my childhood and high school career. It's been incredible. And I continue to learn from great leaders. That's what I always want to surround myself with is people that have differing experiences than I have to be able to give me a new lens on how to look at business, how to look at leadership and how to look at leading a team in such a technology heavy world that we live in today, it becomes hard to connect with people. Um, and I think a lot of the responsibility kind of comes down to coaches like us or people that are translators of this stuff to say, technology is one of those things that sometimes disconnects us from people. But you know, we're really here to protect what you value most, which is your you know technology, the money you guys have, as well as your people. Um, and that's what we're ultimately focused on. A lot of what we do is at the executive level. So it's interfacing with boards or executives on strategy and thinking about how to protect that strategy from being taken down by people that want to see bad things happen to you. And that's the stuff that I really love and something that I go out into the community and talk about 
more, more often than not free of charge, just to bring awareness to a lot of this stuff. And, um, that's one of the things that is key to me. You know, I used to see, you know, Wayne Gomes and some of these other guys would come back in their off seasons and talk at these camps when I was a you know, young player. And I knew the impact that had on me because they had knowledge that I didn't have. So if I can impart that on people that may not know a lot about cybersecurity and leave them a little bit better off, um, that's what we're doing as a company. And it's, it's served us well up to this point. And I think it'll continue to serve us well um, because we have that right approach about people first, technology second, and then, you know, you put those two things together and that's going to make your company a lot of money at the end of the day, because you're going to bring a lot of value to other people. That's kind of my business philosophy. I you know, take that into the world and continue to evolve it. Um, but it's an, a very exciting space, um, you know, as robots and hoverboards and, you know, connected cars that drive themselves continue to become more of our daily, you know, daily routine, daily life. Um, you know, the security of that and the integrity of protecting that, it becomes even more important. Um, so we're going to continue to you know, hopefully be that that voice of reason as companies make decisions around digitally expanding their company and um, you know serve a lot of, of great people along the way. I know Valor is focused on the front end, preparing, evaluating businesses to show what their plan is and maybe improve their cybersecurity so they can avoid being hacked. But I imagine as a company like you are, you might also have access to white hat hackers so on the back end, if they do, if the protections do fail, you can help them recover. Is that right? Absolutely. Yeah, we call it uh, instant commander. So it's kind of that that rescue commander, that firefighter that comes in, you know, after something bad happens. We always try to get to people before the bad happens, um, but we do have that back end service where uh, we can come in, help put the fire out, and then hunt for the person that caused that fire to take place and do that investigation so that. You can find out who who did it, why they did it, and make sure they don't do it again. And uh, that's something that uh, we're continuing to grow that service offering because it's a need for a lot of the folks that we serve when the bad does hit. Um, but we, we call them uh, sovereign groups so that you have the threat groups, the bad guys, and then you have the sovereign groups who are the, the same skill set, but are in it for the, the positive reasons, not the negatives. We partner with some of those uh, sovereign groups to help make sure that those bad guys and girls don't do it multiple times to the same organization. And that's kind of how you minimize those occurrences. And we're trying to be a, a uh, catalyst for change in that equation. Well, that's fantastic considering, I mean, we saw a big failure in cybersecurity recently in the area with healthcare, a local collections company, their system was hacked because of someone clicked on the wrong email and that, impacted every hospital in the area. So this obviously has huge value in this day and age, and it's probably just going to get even more important as we move forward. But as we get to a close here, do you have a favorite local charity or cause? Yeah, so there's two that I heavily support. American Heart Association, younger sister had two heart transplants growing up. So that's something that was always very important to me. So one of the ones that I support heavily, and then Special Olympics. Um, I got involved with the Special Olympics about four years ago, and uh, that's one of those causes that, you know, I really connect with because I always, I always knew that players and people in the community all had different skill sets and superpowers, and uh, you realize, you know, how much 
when you help somebody get what they want, instead of just thinking about what you want, um, usually, you know, you connect to, to a higher, um, a higher purpose. And, um, that's one of those things I always try to contribute, whether it's coaching, you know, people in the special Olympics or just being out there to support them. Um, you know, a lot of the special Olympics would come out to support us as players at games or at practices. And, um, those are two organizations that I'm heavily involved in and will continue to be, um, in the community. Obviously we have a lot of great nonprofits in the community around here, uh, with the military, um, huge military support system. Both my parents were Navy. So definitely try to give back to, to some of those causes, but, uh, you know, really the top two are American heart association, special Olympics. All right, Greg, do you have a message that you want to send to Monarch Nation? And how can people find Valor Cybersecurity? Yeah, Monarch Nation, just keep up the great work. Um, looking forward to continuing to support the mission. Um, you know, reach out and ask for help. I think, you know, anybody in Monarch Nation that reaches out to a fellow Monarch, usually they're willing to help. Um, so I'm definitely one of those people that will, you know, bend over backwards for somebody in Monarch Nation. So um, I, I look forward to continuing to see the positive momentum that's being built with, you know, Hemphill coming in, um, you know, leaving his mark, um, the baseball program, all the sports programs really continuing the momentum they're building. It's just, it's incredible to kind of just sit back and look at how far it's come. Um, so definitely soak in all the great things that have happened over the past, you know, five, seven years. And uh, let's, let's continue to make that multiplier effect um, improvement as we go forward. And I'm excited to be a part of it. Um, how you can find me, I'm pretty, pretty involved on LinkedIn. Um, Valor-cybersecurity.com is how you can find our company. And uh, looking forward to continuing to serve the community, the wider community in Hampton Roads, but, you know, the community that's you know near and dear to my heart, you know, Monarch Nation. And uh, Aaron, Mike, thanks so much for what you guys continue to do for the community. Um, I, I see you guys, you know, newspapers all the time and um, just the positive things you guys are doing to help the Monarch community better connect, um, you know, to other folks in it, whether that's traveling people across the state to sporting events or, you know, just doing all the great things that you guys do throughout the different seasons. I uh, really want to acknowledge you for that and appreciate it. Um, I think we need, you know, more of that and you guys are leaders um, to make that happen. So, you know, definitely appreciate it and uh, looking forward to continuing to be a part of it. Thank you so much, Greg, for joining us and for those nice words. Uh, we really enjoyed it. Thanks again, and go Monarchs. Go Monarchs. Go Monarchs.